Amen. Week 11, stewards and storytellers. Well, last week we saw how God provided for the people in the midst of a famine. The provision came from simply a place of surrender. If you, if you remember, there were four lepers who were at the gate, and if you were a leper, people didn't want to touch you, people didn't want to be around you, people didn't want to uh, hardly look at you. You were an outcast. You didn't, people didn't want to get the, the, you know, the COVID from you. You had to quarantine, you know. Ha, ha, ha. Y'all are lame tonight. So the lepers kind of were at this place where they're like, well, if we go back, we're probably going to, you know, die. If we stay here, we're going to die. We might as well just go to a new place to surrender to this army. And when they got there, the camp was completely empty because God went before them, sent angels, angel armies ahead of them, and the entire camp by the, by, by the opposing army of, uh, of Benadab's, uh, the, the king of Aram, there was so much for them that they were actually able to go back to their uh, town, share the good news, and the famine ended. It was awesome. It was coming all from a place of surrender. We talked about how we were called to feast on the bread and wine that is Jesus. Amen? And as we feast on the bread and wine that is Jesus, we're called to share the good news. Not just good news that he came and saved us, but good news that the reason he saved us and the benefit of him redeeming us is so that we can carry him and his name throughout all the earth. In essence, Jesus, the name of Jesus, who God is, remember Jesus is literally the, the image of the Father. Who he is was multiplied, should be multiplied in us going throughout all the earth. Amen? Well, today we're going into 2 Kings chapter 8. And we're going to start by seeing someone from a few chapters ago. If you remember a few chapters ago, um, Elisha was traveling and he was staying at this woman and, and her husband's house. And it was a woman who was barren. She couldn't have kids. And, and Elisha spoke it over her that she would have a son. She had a son. And then seven, about seven or eight years later, he was working in the fields, basically had a heat stroke, died. And who remembers what happened? Elisha, through the power of God, the little boy was raised back to life. Well, this woman comes back tonight at the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 8, and it starts here in verses 1 through 3. Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place. For the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. Now remember, they had just gotten out of the famine he's talking about. They're talking about before this famine happened, Elisha told the woman, take your family and go, because there's about to be a seven-year famine. So, verse 2, the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Well, after the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to see the king about getting back her house and getting back her land. Now, they were advised to go away from their land for a time, and they came back after the famine. 
The famine just ended because they were sharing the good news with the people. That the, 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 the prophecy came true that food that was so expensive all of a sudden was very affordable. It, it, it was a great thing going on. And this woman and her husband who took the prophet in Elisha and through prayer and obedience the woman had the son and then Elisha was able to bring the son back to life in Jesus' name. They're finally coming back into their home. They're coming back in and it says that she's got to make an appeal to the king asking for her land back and asking for her house back. So I'm going to start out by saying this. The king owns everything. And you are called to steward a thing while you possess it as yours, but it's not really yours. It's always been the king's, and it will always be the king's, but you have ownership of it, if you will, in a way of simply stewarding the thing that you call yours. Our God, our king, owns everything. In 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 26, it says this, For the earth is the what? The Lord's, and everything in it. Everything in it, everything is God's. Your body is God's. Your money is God's. Your car is God's. Maybe not really the idea that he had for it, for some of you, but it's all his. Every, everything is his. Buildings, they're God's. The land is God's. Every, everything. I heard um, someone say one time that, uh, the, the, the way God works is he doesn't make the table, but he makes the trees. Everything that we get came out of something that came from him. And when we understand that the principle that everything is the Lord's, we start operating in such a way where we manage everything according to how he asks us to manage it. And if we manage it or steward it, in such a way where we understand it's not ours, we'll actually start to steward it a lot differently. I don't want to harp on this because people have a lot of opinions about the subject, which I don't really care what your opinion is because I'm going to speak the truth anyways. But that's, that's essentially the idea of tithing. It's not give so that you can build an organization or give so that you can build salaries or give so that you can like look at what we've done. You give because God says everything you have belongs to me and the way I want you to steward it is just give me back 10%. But church people especially will find every way around why we don't have to do that. I get this. Now, just to let you know, we're doing fine financially. Last year was our biggest year in seven years of existence, believe it or not. I talk to pastors all the time, and they're asking, how are you doing with COVID? Have people left? I'm like, no, we've increased. And they're, they ask, well, how are your finances? Are you struggling? No, we brought in two and a half times as much as last year. Or, but, you know, it's crazy. It's stupid. You don't. Yeah, exactly. He, you want to preach? Love you. He, the way he works is he says, I want you to manage this in such a way, and if you manage it appropriately, it's going to work better than if you held on in a way that, you did, that I called you not to steward it. 
You're keeping on to your 100, but if you would give me your 10, I'll make your 90 work past the 100. Not because you're trying to build an organization, but because you're operating as a steward of all that's God's. Your body is not yours. It's God's. Some of you know I, I, I'm keeping the cannibal. I'm trying to get my physical life in check. Because as you can see, it ain't. I'm not trying to lose weight or get healthy for anyone else, but for one reason. God, I want to steward your temple well. Right? Everything. Steward unto God. Nothing is yours. Your money's not yours. Your kids are not yours. Someone say amen. <laughs> Who are they? They're gods. So he gives you a way to handle how to punish them, how to raise them up, how to discipline. People don't get to bring their opinions about how to steward children when God lays it out quite perfectly. I don't care what 2022 says. God says, spare the rod, spoil the child. I don't care if you don't think you should put your hands on your kids. Your opinion sucks. <laughs> However, you got to steward it in wisdom. The issue is not putting your hand on the child. The issue is putting your hand on the child in anger. Right? There's a way to discipline. You don't take out your anger or your frustration on your child. That's not the rod, right? There's all these things. We're called to manage a certain way. And the way you manage something shows how much you realize that it's all his and it's all for his glory. We come to a day where we protect what's ours more than managing it for God's glory. We're supposed to do it all for his glory, but unfortunately, many of us do it for ours. Because the problem with lying and stealing and cheating is that you're is essentially you're walking outside of God's timing by managing it correctly. You manage it incorrectly. You don't have this, so you take. You can't get ahead, so you lie. You do this. It's all about stewardship. We should not be consumed by what advances us. We should be consumed with what advances the fame and glory of my God through every decision I make. And when we do that, he actually promises the appropriate advancement. The problem is when you don't see advancement, you essentially take your trust out of God and say, God, since you ain't doing it for me, let me do it for myself. And that's what happens when people get worried and stressed, and even sometimes depression, all these things simply because of one thing. You're trying to take too much on instead of asking God, how should I? Is this okay? God, how do I manage this season? God says he won't give you more than you can handle. But that's actually an incomplete thought for most church people. He does give you more than you can handle because he says you can't do it without me. If 
it's not that God gives you too much. It's that sometimes you take on stuff that you were never meant to take on. Because you don't steward the taking it on by asking the Father. Think about what Jesus did. We limit Jesus to just he saved us. He didn't just save you. He granted you direct access to a Father that we were not worthy of even looking at. If we have direct access to the Father because now we are covered in the blood of the Lamb, why don't we take advantage of saying, Father, what would you have me do with this? Does it make sense? This woman understood ultimately all my stuff is the king's. And I can't go back into the kingdom with this, well, it's mine attitude. She had to go before the king, even though she stewarded that place all her life, raised her child there, left because of the word of God. She couldn't go back in just with this I deserve attitude. She went back in and honored the king. That's what stewardship is. It's not I'm going to get what I deserve is I understand that I deserve nothing and I'm going to steward it all as what it is, the Father's. Jesus gave up his life because it wasn't about what he wanted to do. He was coming on behalf of the plans of who? His Father. That's why Jesus prayed, please, please let this cup pass from me. I think we forget that part of the gospel. He didn't want to go to the cross for you. He knew what that was going to be. He was a carpenter. I guarantee you he knew what a cross looked like and the measurements and all that kind of stuff. I guarantee you he knew what was going before him. And he did not want to get up on that thing and get whipped and get bruised and bleed to death and take breaths that would literally cause him to suffocate more. He didn't want to do that. God, please, please. Nevertheless, whatever you ask me to do, I will do. And a lot of times in life, we don't like to steward things as God wants us to steward because we don't have that attitude of nevertheless. We want the easy path. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing with the generation that is coming up with younger kids and younger adults. There's no work ethic because we want it like that. But even in the very creation of God, there were six days of working and one day of rest, yet we want seven days of rest with about one hour of work. You go to any place of employment these days, and it's not we can't open because of COVID. It's we can't open because we can't find what? Workers. But the same issue lies in the church. We wonder why no one knows about Jesus, because the congregations are depending on the pastor to do what? The work. When the way that God designed the church, it says, you are my temple, I live inside of you. I have given five gifts to the church to get you equipped, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the, the teacher, and the pastor. And they are to equip you to do the work, not you pay them to do the work with what you call a tithe. 
right? And that's why a lot of leaders are frustrated because they've taken all the responsibility of the work. The work lies on the people of God. It's, a, it's not that there's a less importance or more importance. I talk about this all the time. It's all about function. I am not more important than you spiritually because of what I do. I have a different function. My function is to equip you. My function is to teach you. My function is to help you walk into your destiny. The issue with the modern church is that we have built the church in you making the pastor's dreams come true. That wasn't God's plan. You know what that's called? Bad stewardship. Is this too much? The appropriate design is that the leader of a house should present him or herself as the foundation to promote your legacy. To help you walk into what you need to walk into. And in order to do that appropriately, sometimes you've got to have a hard word because the reason you're not walking in your destiny is not because, why isn't my tithe working? It's what other parts of your life are you not stewarding as unto the Lord. You see, this is why we can't get past 200 people. No one wants to hear this type of word. Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. We're going to get past way more than 200 people because we've got about 100 in this room, and each one of you are called to a certain ministry. And if you steward it well, I don't care if they never get in here. We have affected thousands. Right? This woman was gone for seven years avoiding a famine. You want to avoid a famine? You follow the command of God. Why did the woman avoid the famine? Years and years of obedience by opening up her home to this dude named Elisha and his servant. And because she served and stewarded her home unto the Lord for years and years with no benefit to her, all of a sudden, she gets a word. Leave everything and go somewhere else. And while everyone else was starving, she didn't. Because she didn't say, this is my house and I can't invite anyone in. She knew that this house is whose? The Lord's. So I'm going to be a good steward of my home and do whatever he calls me to do. And sometimes... The command of God will ask you to forfeit what you claim is yours. And sometimes you're actually called maybe to stay in the famine as part of the redemption plan. Because while the woman went away, you know who had to stay through it? Elisha. You see, we forget that part of the scripture. We, we call the Lord our protector and expect him to take us out of the issue. But you do realize the way that he protects us, he's got to have some people that he can protect through. And some get to go away. Some get to not experience the famine of life. But some, he says, I need you to stand in the gap on my behalf. The way I get in the world is through my very creation. The way I get to speak is through my people. The way that I am represented best is when my people represent me. Be a good steward, understanding that everything about you 
represents him. And just because you are part of the plan doesn't mean you're replacing Jesus. It's your stewarding on behalf of Jesus, giving all glory to the Father through one word, obedience. Is this okay? Okay. The woman obeyed, she listened, and she served. And she was protected for seven years until it was time to come back. So she comes back, and look what happens in 2 Kings 8, 4. As she came, as she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, tell me some stories. What's his message called? Stewards and what? Storytellers. Tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. I'm going to pause right here. Y'all remember who Gehazi was? Gehazi is the dude that was serving Elisha and then went back and lied on Elisha and said, hey, I know Elisha said we don't need all your silver and all your gold and all your stuff, but let me take it back. And because he was disobedient, one man got healed of leprosy. Gehazi got the leprosy. Which begs the question, why is the king in the presence of this leper? Maybe he was six foot distancing, I don't know, but <laughs> at the time, yeah, y'all think all this is new. It's not if you read the Bible. We've already gone through all this, okay? <laughs> you don't associate with lepers. But here the king is talking to one. This is King Benadab. This is the same king that caused the famine. This is the same king when Elisha, in a couple chapters ago, remember he sent the angel armies ahead and uh, the, 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 the king of Benadab's armies went to uh, Samaria and the king was like, let me kill him, let me kill him. And Elisha said, no, just feed him and send him on their way. And then King Benadab answered with a horrible takeover and famine. Horrible king. And here the king's talking to this leper that served Elisha saying, Tell me some stories about this incredible man of God. I wonder, why is the king in a different place? Because last chapter, he wanted Elisha dead. And now he's like, hey, leper, come tell me some stories about this amazing man of God. Hmm. Famine just ended. Armies were spared. And the king is starting to see. And there are going to be times where people are at a place where they're starting to see the reality of the goodness of God. And they will get around anyone or anything to just simply say, let me hear some stories. In Daniel 4.2, it says that it seems good to show the signs and wonders and what God did for me. 1 Chronicles 16.8 says, Call upon the name of the Lord and make his deeds known. In Mark 5.19, a dude gets, uh, a, a demon that was in him leaves. He heals a demon-possessed man, and then Jesus tells the man, go tell all your friends. It's amazing what happens when we begin to share what God has done. Yet there are so many of us that don't know how to do it, don't do it, or all you hear is about all the bad that surrounds your life. 
And I don't know about you, but I've gone through some bad, and I've gone some, through some horrible, and I've gone through some I don't want to be here. I know y'all are perfect, but I've been there. You ever been at that place in life where you just question everything? Like, God, are you sure you meant for me to even be here? You ever been at that place? Or like, you know, married couples, you think, is this the right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You, 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 I, I, I hear some of y'all talk like you wouldn't believe what he or she did. We all go through times where we're like, God, is this really what you got for me? We've got to become a people that begin to let the stories of who he is and what he's done be louder than the complaints. Isn't it, think about, we're told in Revelation that we overcome by the blood and the word of our testimony. Yet the biggest thing the church tries to push is let's just come together and pray and ask God. Am I a believer in prayer? Absolutely. But I think a, a lot of times it's just, Lord, give me. Lord, would you? Lord, I need. What should be the loudest voice in the body of Christ are the stories, the testimonies. Even this house is guilty of it. Did you know the last month we had? Two people completely healed of knee issues where they canceled their surgeries? That's amazing. That's confirmed. And yet I hear about people saying, well, you know, Pastor Kyle don't believe in healing. And I'm like, shut up, devil. <laughs> like, there's things happening. I, I, I heard, we heard today in prayer group, that, can, I, can I talk for, that this couple right here in the past month, they, they've been going through a lot of stuff since I've known them, and they've had to be obedient in places that couldn't be obedient. And just last month, both of them got stupid financial breakthrough in their careers. And here's the thing. You know where it came from? Obedience. Even though obedience did not make sense. But what we do is we know the scripture that says we've got to be transformed by renewing our minds, yet we use something called logic to determine obedience. When your logic, in fact, hasn't been what? Renewed. Are y'all hearing me? We're called to steward what is his and become storytellers. Of all the good that he's done. Of all the plans that he has for you. I wonder how many times we, met on, we, we miss out on steps for destiny because no one knows what the call that God has put on your life. Like if you had not been telling stories about God said that one day I would do this, you may have been right there with the person that could have promoted you into the next level of your assignment because they, they saw something in you that they had an ability to put into the, 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 the purpose, the plan, the steps, but they never knew that you had that gift or that talent or that dream because you never told the story. Because all we're focusing on is, well, I'm like this and I'm like that and I can't do this and I have a hard life. And no one knows about the foretelling of what God has planned for you. 
No one knows about the purposes that you know God's had for you. And you may not be in it, but for some reason you're scared to speak it. There's a fear of saying, God said that one day I would. If people don't know the story, how are you going to get into that place? Because I've got news for you. The way you get there is not God's going to divinely just make it happen. He puts you in position and you steward the position and make sure they know the story. I hope this is helping. Look at verses 5 through 6. Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elijah had brought a boy back to life. Now, who just came in the room? The boy's mama. At that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and land. Look, my lord the king, Gehazi explained. Here's the woman now. This is her son. The very one Elisha brought back to life. Is this true? The king asked her. And she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her. Including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. At the exact same time that Gehazi was telling a story about the time that the, the master he served healed this woman's child back to life. She walks in, and because of the story being told, and then because of her story, she doesn't just get everything back. She, true restoration is not getting back to where you were. It's getting past where you were. This woman, she didn't just get her home restored. She just didn't get her livelihood restored. She got everything she didn't even put her hand to in the past seven years. True restoration, you start out further than when you, you lost it. You, you know what the, the medical uh, community says about a broken bone? When it, it grows back together, it's stronger than it was before. That's called restoration. And we get so caught up in telling stories about how hard it is. But if you would steward the hard with the right stories... Imagine the place you get to that makes the past seven years <laughs> look like it was all for your promotion. But then the reality of it, she didn't know that. For seven years, she lived in decrease. So we like to say amen to the, yeah, restoration, yeah, more than enough. But you do have to walk through a season where you don't have any. The key is how do you steward that season? Because this is what the church has become. When the season happens, the, the church teaches, oh, just wait on the Lord. Oh, just let, let, let's just pray that Savannah would see the light. Let's just pray and Christians aren't voting correctly? Well, the church shouldn't get involved in politics. What Bible are you reading? Right? We sit and wait, and we're like, God, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And he says, well, I want you to steward this season of without, and don't just tell the stories of why you don't have it. 
Tell the story of why you're trusting when you don't see it. Tell the story of where your faith lies even though you're not walking in it. Through the testimony of Gehazi, the king saw God operating on this woman's behalf. So what did he do? He said, it's good that I honor this woman. And something to think about. This woman came in at the exact time that Gehazi was talking to the king. But here's the thing. Gehazi should have never been talking to the king with or without leprosy. He should have been walking with who? Elisha. But he wasn't because of disobedience. But this is how God makes all things work together for good. Even the thing called disobedience, he worked out for the good of the obedient woman. Gehazi didn't rebuke God, but he did miss out on walking with God. But because Gehazi was still giving praise and sharing the story in a place of without, God came through for the woman on behalf of a disobedient dude talking stories to a doubtful king. It's not just telling stories about how good he is because you're hoping for increase. It's telling stories about how good he is even if you never believe you're going to get increase. Because sometimes we go through seasons where we just it's, it's never ending. That doesn't mean you shift your faith and you say, well, God, I, you know, I, I mean, I was, you know, I was a Christian 10 years ago and God was working, but then this happened and I just ain't been in church. What kind of story is that? What kind of stewardship is that? You're the temple of God called to carry him throughout all the earth and the only place that God knows is your bedroom, is your living room, is your garage. The workplace don't even know that you are a Christian because they don't hear about these stories They look at you and they see you as a complainer. They see you as a doubter. They see you as you're always pessimistic. Why would they want to worship your God? God, when are you going to change the city? Well, start talking about me. Start representing me well. Because the version that they know is not me. If you go into the deepest parts of Savannah that are the most obvious sin, and I say that because everywhere is covered in sin, but if if you go to the places where it's obvious sin and you start talking to people about why they don't believe in God, it usually ain't because of God. It's because of believers. What did did Gandhi say? He said, "I, I, I love Jesus, but I don't believe in him because I met one of his followers. Because of bad stewardship, and we're not talking the right talk. Now, I'm not talking about being disillusioned by reality. I'm not saying that we got to hide the truth. But in the midst of your story, in the midst of your fall, in the midst of the hard, redeem it and talk about that what God did and what he will do so that even the hard story is actually a testimony toward goodness in the midst of your disappointment. Matthew 10, 32-33 says it like this. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me on earth, 
I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Yet there are many people who never hear about what God did in your story. You get promotions and, and you give the credit to your hard work and not God's favor. Because you didn't steward the moment for a story. You stewarded the moment for your glory. Look at what I've done. But the reason you did it is because of a father who allowed you to with gifts he placed in you. Nothing wrong with promotion, but you've got to understand that when you're promoted, sure, it's what you did, but it's because of God's design of you. And you're stewarding the design well. Okay? Sharing your story. Stewarding and managing the situation. Look at verses 7 through 9. It says, it kind of takes a shift. Elisha went to Damascus. I mean, he was done with that woman. She got all the stuff that she needed back. Restoration. So it shifts. Elisha goes to Damascus, the capital of Aram, where King Benadab lay sick. Now remember, this is the king that has tried to kill Elisha, right? This is the king who doesn't like any of those people. When someone told the king that the man of God had come, the king said to Hazael, take a gift to the man of God. And then tell him to ask the Lord, will I recover from this illness? So Hazael loaded down 40 camels with the finest product of Damascus as a gift for Elisha. That's, that's, that's a lot of gift. Uh, I'm kind of thinking in my flesh, well, you better. You just caused a famine for seven years. So he went to him and said, your servant Benadad, the king of Aram, has sent me to ask, will I recover from this illness? Now, this was the same king, again, who was trying to kill Elisha at one time. Remember in 2 Kings 6, he was the king that came for him. The army went blind, the same king who caused the famine. But when you've got a reputation for God delivering you out of stuff, because of your storytelling, when you've got a reputation for God doing miracles in you and through you, people start to fear what's on you. And when I say fear, I mean the godly version of honor. They honor what's on you even if they don't understand what's on you is your God. Let me say it another way. Because of all the stories of breakthrough, I mean, remember, Elisha escaped attack after attack and issue after issue, healing, building prophetic schools, getting axe heads to float to the water. His reputation preceded him. All kind of crazy stuff was happening. When you've got that kind of reputation, even the ones who hate you eventually may need you. But they may not need you or know they need you because you haven't been a good steward of the stories. Because all they hear is negativity. All they hear is down. All they hear is I can't. And they never hear about what God has done or what God has promised. What preceded Elisha's reputation? Not, well, I'm in it again. There's a famine. What's God? No, he, he, he heard a man who stayed steadfast in the Lord. So when this king was ill and like the threat of death, he was like, I don't want to hear nothing from you. I don't want to hear nothing from you. I want you to go ask that dude who I just tried to kill because something's on him that ain't on me and I want it. I believe that is what's going to change the church. I believe, or let me re-say that again. I believe that's how the church is going to change the world. That instead of just talking about God as a theoretical idea, 
we actually start talking about what he's already done and doing. So it gets under my skins when, when I hear houses of worship that don't believe God can do it today. But, and I've been guilty of this, do I spend my time talking about my frustrations about those houses or do I build this house up to outdo his stories? <laughs> I can complain that they're not doing it all day. But I should shift the complaint and say, let's just raise up these people. Because if no other house has the stories of healing, they've got to hear it from somewhere. And the status of the American nation is that people flock to houses that are built like country clubs where you can feel good for a 25-minute message that will get you through your week. I don't want that for this house. This, this, is what, this is where we should be. And I'm treading on thin ice here, but I'm learning to skate. I don't even know what that means. We should not live with the mentality of, I need a miracle. We should get to a place where we're walking in the provision of God to such a degree where those that need the miracle know where to come. If you live your life according to, I need a miracle to get me through, that's called wilderness living, not promised land. When they got to the land of milk and honey, they no longer needed the miracle. But for some reason, especially the charismatic church, we actually love the wilderness. Come up to this altar and get healed today. You need a miracle again. It's like, well, well there's nothing wrong with needing a miracle, but the mindset of living by it, that, that's where the issue is. We need to be faithful in, in letting God work through us for sure. We need to be faithful to where when someone comes up here with COVID, instead of we all distancing, we get the elders to lay their hands on the sick and see it lift. We need to be faithful in those things, but we should not have a mindset of, I just want to live hoping I get a miracle. If we would steward the principles of God in our lives, I believe the church can be in a place just like the 12 apostles. They didn't go to each other saying, hey, Peter, man, would you pray for me? I got a hurt leg. They were so complete that the hurt legs came to them, right? But the, is this too much on this? The, the church has become just this, well, let's just all heal each other. No, no, no. You're supposed to obviously get the provision and get the miracle, but the point of the church is that we be the ones who administer it and live in a place of more than enough. It's, it's right here. It's mindset. It's mindset. Th think about it. In, in, all, in all the stories of Jesus explaining parables to these disciples, what was he teaching them how to do? He was teaching them principles and concepts of the kingdom. He didn't say, let, let me show you how to lay hands on someone. It's, it's, pre it's pretty simple. Watch. Right? <laughs> it, 
No, no, no. He, he was teaching how to live in a kingdom, how to steward your life, how to tell the stories. Hmm. But see, religious people will hear that and say, well, relentless doesn't believe in the modern day workings of miracles. No, we just don't worship them. We worship the giver of. He was telling stories. Some of us don't have many stories for people because we don't truly fear God because we don't follow him. You don't follow him, you won't have stories. I need to, can I, I haven't told many people this, but I did something really stupid. Well, <laughs> I do a lot of stupid things, but I think I was like, um, I don't know, I was, I was 23, 24, I was a youth pastor, which y'all know youth pastors got their issues. And I remember thinking to myself, I need to build my testimony. Not in a good way. I thought to myself, I can be more relevant to these kids if I sin a little bit so that I can build my testimony. It's horrible. And what I didn't realize is how many of these kids, were their lives were changing, not because I had a bad story, but because I had a good one. Then I made some stupid decisions and had to live out the consequences of building my testimony and then get restored. Is that, is that too much? I, I'm transparent, right? And where we've got, thank you, that's for God. And where we've got to be is, is understanding that even the good stories need to be heard. Someone told me one time, I, I was, um, uh, uh, we, we used to do all kinds of stuff down at Recovery Square. And I remember one time someone saying, well, the, the only way to minister to, to, to recovering addicts, you can't do it unless you were one. Can I introduce you to Jesus? Because I guarantee you he can do much better at ministering to an addict than a recovered addict. They don't, they, need, they don't just need your redemption story. They also can see a story of it's possible to live without it. And you put that in every area of life. Why limit the stories? Why limit what you can do? If God's called you to it, do it. You don't need the experience to prove that you're called to a ministry. When God asked me to start a church... I didn't want to do that. I used to always say, I never want to be a lead pastor. You want to know why? Because the lead pastors that I saw were miserable and hurt and broken because, they, because no one knew how to steward themselves well. Uh, and, 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 and they had to take on all this stuff, and it was pushing them down, making bad decisions. And I thought to myself, I don't want that. I had to be open my eyes to God saying, if you steward yourself well, if you tell the right stories, you can do what you never wanted to do. You can gain a passion for what you never had a passion for. Because if, if I read my Bible correctly, the passion he put in me now to lead a church was in me before I even came to this world. But what happens is when we go through life stewarding wrong and mismanaging, we start to believe the lie that that thing could never be your story. Don't limit God. 
God, God has not changed his plan for you just because you might have had some bad stories. Just because you stewarded an area wrong. He's bigger than all that. You know why? Because it's not about you doing the ministry. It's about you being a vessel for his voice. And if it's his voice, you don't need any experience. I don't know where this is coming from because this is not my notes, but this has got to be for someone. Speaking of notes. Hmm. That same king who tried to kill him now needed him. I want to read that scripture in Revelation really quick because I think it's one of the most incomplete scriptures we read. Don't put it up yet. Because we say, Revelation says, they're overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Did you know that that's not the entire verse? This is what it says in Revelation 12, 11. They have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. Some stories you're called to share may not be to your advantage. You're stewarding the moment for the glory of God versus the safety of you. Are you willing to lose you to glorify him? Because a lot of times we love our place in life and, and, and God may actually want you to lose it for the sake of of good stewardship. Like, like, make sure you consult God on what I'm about to say, but like when you're in the workplace and you know the moment is to give him glory, but you don't give him glory because you fear what? Losing the job? Now, I'm not saying go to your job Monday and, and just throw caution to the wind. You've got you've to make sure that the Lord is the one speaking to you and, and not you hate the job and you found a religious reason as to why you can get out of it. <laughs> like I'm not validating that for everything. Many times we find ourselves disobedient to a director from God because of self-preservation, preserving you. So sometimes we kind of are disobedient to the director from God because you don't want to lose relationship with your family or relationship with your friends. But if he deserves glory in all things and all circumstances, you've got to be willing to lose everything. Well, I don't want to lose everything. But if it would mean glory for him, I don't need it. You see, that's not the inspirational message you come to hear at church. It's real. I can't tell you how many friendships or relationships with people that I've lost out on because I wouldn't compromise on what I believe. I remember one time I was uh, going to see my best friend. He, they, they had a baby, and uh, the, the baby was uh, on life support, the whole deal, for the first few days. It was, it was a horrible ordeal. Praise God, he's well today. He's, I think he's five or six. This is five or six years ago. And um, I had to give my best friend's father a ride home from Atlanta to Savannah. We got in the car, and the very first thing he said was, you know, I appreciate you praying and all that, but I don't believe in your God. I don't believe in God, period. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a long ride. 
And I've always had a great relationship with him. He, he was a great, great man as far as some, someone to, when you, uh, I say look up to, but he, he didn't do anything that was, you know, like the typical, oh my gosh, that's a bad father type guy. But through the, the four hours of car ride, it was, I had to stay silent most of the time because all he was doing is bashing my God. And, and, and when I got home, I felt so convicted that I never stewarded that moment to say, well, let me tell you about what God did for me. I'm going to answer for that one day. I've got to give an account. Why am I telling you that? Because there's so many times we stay silent because we don't want the argument, we don't want the confrontation. And I'm not talking about causing an argument, I'm talking about causing a confrontation, but maybe the most simplistic idea of, hey man, even though you don't believe in him, he loves you. Stewarding the moment. Now, since then, he knows what I do now. And I, I'm praying for a restoration, redemptive story. That if he ever knows who he needs to come to, he, he can trust me. That's what I'm praying for. See, these are the things you don't know about all the little stories, right? But we've all got them. I'm, I'm sure they're starting to pop in your head right now. Remember, this woman lost out on seven years. And it was redeemed in a moment. Stewardship, stories. Hmm. And at the right time, what you think did some harm can actually be redeemed. Good stewardship, good stories. Look at verses 10 to 11. Elisha replied, go and tell him you'll surely recover. It's good news, right? The king's dying. Elisha's not going to die. Elisha says, hey, you're going to recover. But actually, the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. Now, that, that's kind of confusing but it says Elisha started staring at Hazael with a fixed gaze until Hazael became uneasy. You ever had someone that had that kind of gaze? They're just looking at you and you're like, stop looking at me. And then the man of God started weeping. You see, Elisha wasn't contradicting himself. Can you throw that verse 10 back up there? It says, go ahead and tell him you will recover but the Lord has shown me you will die. In other words, the reason you die won't, won't be because of your sickness. Now, this was, now, just to make sure we're understanding, Elisha saw the healing and spoke it, but he also saw what would happen as a result of someone else stewarding their life wrong. And that someone else was the man that he gave that stare to. Hazael. The king would survive the sickness, but something else would be his death. You see, sometimes there's a calling to be obedient. Sometimes it's not always a joy ride. It's easy to be obedient to the, oh, God's got great plans for you and God's going to do this. It's hard to be obedient to that best friend when God tells you to tell him or her, if you keep on, this is what's going to happen. And because you weren't obedient, they really never have a reason to pause and think. And we, Americans all use the same, well, that's their life. But if you've been put in it, that's bad stewardship for you to always stay silent. So look, look what happens in verses 12 and 13. What's the matter, my Lord? Hazael asked him. Elisha replied, 
I know the terrible things you're going to do to the people of Israel. You're going to burn their fortified cities, kill their young men with the sword, dash their little kids to the ground, and rip open their pregnant women. Dang, Elisha. You've gone from healing and greatness to this? Hazael responded, how could nobody like me ever accomplish such great things? Now, great's misinterpreted here because what he means is like great as in greatly horrible. He says, how can nobody like me do, uh, do something this big, become the, the, the leader of the people of Israel and do all these horrible things? Elisha answered, the Lord showed me that you're going to be the king of Aram. Why be obedient to sharing this? Hazael should have taken this opportunity to confront himself. To check his heart. But he already made up his mind. You being obedient to stories has no bearing on what the person will do with it. When God tells you to speak, you got to speak. What should have happened was that Hazael heard this and said, not me. Instead, he started thinking, well, how can I do that? He never took some time to get before God and say, God, take away this desire. He didn't say, God, prepare me so I don't make the wrong decision. You see, it, in telling stories and being good stewards, it's not, about, it's not about success is not defined as seeing it change. Success is that you were simply obedient. And I think a lot of us get hung up on that because we think, I didn't change anything. The story all the time isn't meant to change. Sometimes the story is just to put it in the hands of someone else who has the authority to change. Elisha was obedient to one thing that God told him to do. Tell Hazael about the desires that he may not see. And I want you to notice something. Is this, y'all okay? Y'all awake? Okay. Some of y'all are. Just kidding. Th think about this. Elisha never told Hazael who would become or how would King Benadad die. He didn't tell Hazael that you're going to kill the king. He didn't tell Hazael how he's going to rise to power. He just simply said, yeah, the king's going to die, but not by the sickness. But what did Hazael do? He didn't take it. He didn't weigh it. He didn't pray about it. It says in verse 14, when Hazael left Elisha and went back, the king asked him, what did Elisha tell you? And what did Hazael reply? He told me that you're going to recover. Nothing else. But the next day, Hazael took a blanket, soaked it in water, held it over the king's face until he died. Murdered him. And then Hazael became the next king of Aram. He lied about what Elisha said and then assassinated the king. In other words, he took the word and used it to take the throne instead of checking his heart. And so many people will get a word from God instead of taking it to ask God what to do with it. They twist it for their advantage. Like when you hear God say you're going to have a great ministry, so you start one instead of asking him what he wants you to serve now. Or like when you hear God say you're going to be a pastor, but you hear start a church.
you know, you, you hear God say to do something, and your immediate thought is, I'm going to define what it is instead of asking God to lead you into the thing. Or like when you hear God say, your leader's going to die, and, and then you find a way to take the leader out sooner by gossiping, by stirring, by lying on them. What happened here? Oh, yeah, he's going to die, but not by the sickness. What did Hazael do? Sped up the process. I wonder what stories you hear from God that you've twisted to match the story that you want to hear. Like when God says you're going to. So instead of saying what's the next step, you go after it. Right? You put it in your time. Good stewards hear a story and don't think, how does this benefit me? Good stewards hear a story and say, how do I glorify God and serve his people? You're going to do great things. Don't pursue greatness. Listen, you're going to do great things. Don't pursue greatness. Ask God, where do I start stewarding better? I've had prophecies spoken over me. The, the most dangerous thing for me to do is chase the prophecy. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If it was prophesied over me, I know that there are many steps on the way to that. I put my faith that it was correct and say, God, what would you have me do now? And if I steward the now and the next step, and the next step unto the Lord, I will walk the right path into the word. The issue is when someone speaks a word, you chase the word on everyone else's expense. And you got more bad stories about you than good. And then you enter into the prophetic place one day having to clean up a lot of mistakes on the way. Is this, is this too much or is this, okay. You see, it's all about being selfless. Stewarding what God gives you for others for the glory of God. Telling stories of God's faithfulness rather than your greatness. I close with this passage of scripture tonight in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love suffers long and it's kind. Love does not envy. Now, we read this a lot, but I want you to, love does not envy. A good steward does not envy what someone else has, someone else has and go for it. It's not good stewardship. Love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. In other words, love is not about you becoming obsessed with your idea of the dream. Love is about if God has a purpose for me, instead of chasing the dream, I'm going to chase obedience. Because obedience will take me to the dream. It's not provoked. It doesn't think evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. 
You, you ever heard Christians say, well, he got what he deserved? Love does not rejoice in that. Because I thank God I don't get what I deserve. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures. And sometimes enduring through things doesn't always work out for your benefit. Because sometimes you have to endure because of a mistake. Sometimes you've got to endure because you're covering someone. Parents, when, when, you, when you're raising up a son or daughter, it's no longer about your dreams. But in being obedient to raising them up, he will make sure that the doors are open for what he's always planned for you. It's, it, don't believe that lie that God says, I don't know why I'm saying this. Well, once you have kids, your dreams are gone. No, no, it's a shift in how you steward your life. Because obedience takes you into the plan that God will not allow to be robbed from you. I know that's hard, but it's truth. He wants it for you. So he says, be obedient to all I've commanded. Love is not about you. You know what real love is? Representing God everywhere in all things. When love is gone, we tend to do the opposite of the things of the author of love. Romans 12.10 defines giving love to another as honor them by giving preference to them. You want to talk about good stewardship? Give preference to everyone but yourself. You want to, you, you want to know what I learned of great leadership? Don't lead for the benefit of you. Give preference to everyone else, knowing that God will take care of you. That, that does not mean you please everyone. That means get, even if it means you lose them from your church, in love, prefer them with the tools they need to move forward. Because as church leaders, we don't want to lose anyone. And for most church leaders, that simply means we don't want to lose what? That's, that's the unfortunate truth. I prefer you means if God wants you to lead this congregation one day, praise God. Because what if your leaving is simply you have been prepared for an assignment that was never supposed to be attached to this house? You know what it's called? Apostolic. It's not preparing you for what you can do for us. It's preparing you for what God has put in your story way before you ever entered the earth. Hazael heard that the king was going to survive, so he killed him. Elisha knew the king tried to kill him. But instead of ignoring the king... He spoke on his behalf. Can you think about that for a second? Like King Benadad called on Elisha. America, pff, I ain't talking to that dude. He tried to kill me like a few times. You know what Elisha did? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to him once he got. He served the king that tried to murder him two chapters ago. And you can't honor a president that you disagree with. I want... <laughs> 
I want to be clear on this. I'm with you. Can't stand it. Can't stand the policies. But if I'm to outdo with love, there is a way to speak disagreement in love. Not to build your platform among people who are stupid. I don't care what you think about me. Blessing enemies, preferring one to oneself. You really want change? Steward a horrible season of America by making God bigger than your opinions and your passions. You see, I, I really believe that what this world has been lacking, and maybe, maybe not all of it, maybe it's just here because, I mean, this is really a lot of us all see, we're missing good stewards and good storytellers. We hear more about what's horrible than what's good. We hear more about what we wish would change than what has already been changed. We talk more about the struggle than talk about the weight he's lifted. We talk more about the problems than what he's restored. We gotta change the story. We steward our, there are some Christians that steward their time like this. God's coming back any day, so I'm, just, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm waiting, and God's like, well, if you would stop waiting, it would actually get me to come back. To wait on the Lord, that word wait means serve, like a waiter. If we would start to steward every moment as a waiting assignment, more people would know about him. And if I read the scripture correctly, it says, when my kingdom is preached throughout all the earth, is when it will return. So we got to talk more than just about Jesus died for you. It's more like Jesus died for me and look what my redemption looks like. It's, I, I know you've been taught to save every penny, but let me, let me tell you how the kingdom operates. It's, I know you've been taught how to, you've you got to preserve every moment, but let, 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 let me talk about the principles of sowing and reaping. You know, let, let, let's get out of the false theology of, well, God let it happen for a reason, and really talk about sowing and reaping for good things and bad things. You're reaping what you sowed, not because God wanted that for you. Like, we've got to start talking. I don't even know how to close this message out. It's a call to be good stewards of the power of God in us and the love that we've come to know. Tell everyone about his goodness. Tonight, maybe some of you have realized that you've only been looking out for yourself. Maybe tonight, some of you realize that maybe you've been manipulating things of God for you. Maybe you've realized, you know what, I haven't even shared my story. Maybe you've realized that I've got to be a good steward of what God's given me instead of complaining what he hasn't given to me. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you as we leave tonight. Become a steward of what he's done. Become a steward of the treasure that he's placed inside of you. Become a storyteller of all things of the kingdom that a lot of people will never know unless they hear it from your mouth. Because let me tell you, for a lot of people, 
lot of people are not just going to wake up tomorrow and go, you know what, let me just download or buy a Bible. The only way that stuff happens is if they hear someone actually representing the king well because we're ambassadors of his kingdom on this earth. Amen. Amen. Stewards and storytellers. Amen.